Hi everybody, I'm Wendy Murdoch and this is Webinars with Wendy. This series of webinars is for horse people who just wanna know about horses, interesting things that are going on you might not have been exposed to and just generally informative and fun. Today, my guest is Christy Schulte Kapper and she is from The Right Horse, which has now become part of ASPCA. And she's got some, I know you have some fantastic stories of, of like really positive, happy stories to tell us, I'm sure. So welcome, Christy. Thank you for so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, we tried to connect, I think it was last year, and then we couldn't get our schedules together. So when I saw you at um, the Retired Racehorse Project uh, event in Lexington, I was like, Christy, we've got to get you on the program because the work you're doing is so amazing and fantastic. And we had a brief little chat at the booth, and it was just exciting what's been happening. Like, there are positive things that have happened during the pandemic. And I think your story is one of those really positive things that's happening. But before we get there, can you just give us your background and, and uh, who you are and, and where you're from and what your organization is? Absolutely. Um, so I'm the program director for the Right Horse Initiative. And um, I've had a variety of different roles in the horse industry in marketing and in program management. And generally it is uh, worked around trying to bring people together to work on issues that affect all horses in the whole industry. So I actually previously was with Time to Ride, which is a program of the American Horse Council. Um, and I've been really lucky to kind of combine that sort of marketing and program management and people and horse connecting type um, activities in, in different roles. And I uh, have a degree in equine science and in business with a concentration in marketing from Colorado State University. Yay, the Rams. Colorado. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm, I don't envy uh, the 16 degree mornings, although I do curse the summers here sometimes. So I, uh, it's, everything's a trade off, right? Um, and in my personal life, I have Mustangs. I've competed in a few extreme Mustang makeovers. I have a donkey, a pony mule. Everybody's adopted except for one of my mares. And a menagerie of other animals. I live outside Austin, Texas with my husband and we have a small herd of beef cattle and we, we just try to, you know, put up the good fight every day of not adding more animals to our herds, <laughs> dogs, cats, chickens, all that stuff. So yeah, that's a, that's that's a little bit easy, about me. Is it? <laughs> no, especially when you get your own place and it's like, well, you know, there's space out there, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. That's great. So, so now, um, so you were with the the right, is it, what was the Quarter Horse Association job? Um, I, I've never been with AQHA. I oh, do okay. own a Quarter Horse, I'm a member, but I, uh, okay, yeah, I, I was, uh, um, yeah. the job previous to this one. Sure. Yes. I was with Time to Ride, which Time is a ride. program of the American Horse Council. Oh, American Horse Council. Awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, Cause I haven't heard about that before. So that might be an interesting webinar later on. I'll have to make a note. Um, yeah, then, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you found Right Horse. So how did you discover Right Horse and tell us about Right Horse Initiative? So the Right Horse Initiative was created as a, a program of a private family foundation in 20, late 2016. And the, the leadership that, that started the Right Horse looked at kind of the big picture of these horses that were um, kind of in between, they were sort of falling through the cracks. We call them horses in transition and saying, how can we address this issue of horses kind of needing help getting from point A to point B through some time in their lives, whether that's a traditional rescue situation where the horses really need a lot of help and maybe medical care to get healthy and go to their next home, or in the example of a thoroughbred makeover, a young, healthy, really sound, um, amazing athlete who also needs a little help to get from that one career to the next. And this whole idea that equine adoption is such an important way to help make sure those transitions are safe and successful. And that anytime a horse is going from career A to career B, that, you know, they live a long time, that we're helping them safely make those transitions and therefore preventing horses from falling at risk, ending up in bad situations, um, and really seeing adoption as the way to do that. So the program was founded there um, at the Arnold Family Foundation in 2016, grew, uh, really got our feet under ourselves. I joined the program in uh, 2018. Um, so we had some really great leadership in, in Christy Counts and the other 
um, leaders uh, within our industry partners who kind of put the strategy together. I joined in 2018 and then in 2019, uh, our the Right Horse formally became a program of the ASPCA where it fits really perfectly into our equine welfare work. That's awesome. And I and um, I knew about the program before you joined the ASPCA. We actually met at the Right Horse Summit in Lexington. Was that in 2018? I think so. Um, it was before ASPCA, so maybe. Um, but I, I found it fascinating. And so when you're talking about horses in transition, it's not just simply like race horses or rescue horses, but do you also help people that say, you know, circumstances in their life have changed and they can no longer have that horse and they need to find a solution to that horse, but they don't know the options. Exactly. That we, we see that all the time. And in fact, some of the research that we've done in programs, um, we've looked at the reasons that horses end up in transition and more than 75, 80% of the time, it's actually because of something that's happened in the human's life, not because of, you know, something wrong with the horse. It's a, a divorce, a loss of a job, a move out of state, um, aging out of horse ownership, simply, you know, not being able to care for the horse anymore. And so, yeah, we see, and, and that's why we can see all kinds of horses ending up in transition really due to no fault of their own. And you're, you're totally right. It's there historically have not really been a lot of options. If, if it's not been easy for the owners to quickly resell or rehome that horse, or if they're not comfortable doing that, um, then they're kind of, you know, what, what do we do with this? And so that's how a lot of times how horses end up falling through the cracks. Yeah, I totally agree. I remember back in 2008 when the market crashed that people were simply turning their horses loose. They couldn't afford them. Um, and that was happening on the East coast, not just out West where there's a lot more space, but just because they didn't know an option. And, you know, I, I can recall when I was in college, I had a horse and I was in transition and I could not afford this horse anymore. And it was so stressful. And I was so fortunate because someone knew about the horse at the barn where he was, which was over an hour from where I was living at the time and adopted him. And I was like, you know, so, so grateful that somebody came along into my life because the option was putting him down. And, um, I just, you know, I didn't have the resources. I, I can't tell you how many different things happened all at once. Um, and so I was fortunate to have someone come along and say, you know, I can take your horse, which I, I was so grateful, but I was lucky. I was lucky that somebody came along and there's so many times when people are in the same kind of circumstances and somebody doesn't come along. So, you know, this is, this is an amazing program. So tell us a bit more about um, what you do and how you work with ASPCA. Yeah, absolutely. So at the ASPCA, we have a really ambitious goal with our equine welfare work. So a lot of folks might know the ASPCA for our dog and cat work. Um, and our equine work is really growing within that umbrella um, and what's so great about being part of the A is it gives us a lot of national reach and a really strong team to uh, draw on their expertise that has grown in the dog and cat world. And so our equine work is, is really growing and our goal is to assure, it's very simple, good welfare for all equines. So simple, ambitious, not necessarily easy, but certainly straightforward. And so within that, we have three sub goals. So the first one is safety nets. So that's helping horses stay where they are safe and stay in their homes when that's the right thing for them. We have some great programs that we've supported that we can, I'm sure, talk about. And so looking at how can we make sure the horse is in a home that, that they're loved, the owner wants to keep them there, but maybe it's just hit a rough patch of some kind um, and needs a little bit of help temporarily. But overall, it's a good situation for the horse and the human. And then sometimes they do need to go to a new home. So our safety network relates very closely to the next piece, which is our uh, transition rehoming and adoption work. And of course, that's where the right horse comes in. So when somebody says, you know, really, I, it's just not a good fit. I can't keep this horse anymore. We help them get into a program where they can get the help they needed, where they're not, you know, ending up at an auction or somewhere at risk or, or even sort of languishing there in the pasture. And that's where the, um, the right horse and the whole assessing, figuring out what that horse needs, what kind of home is right for them, and then helping them find that home through adoption. So that's piece number two, the rehoming and adoption. Um, and, so, and really clear how, of course, those two work hand in hand. And then the third piece is our equine cruelty work. And so this is not quite 
not nearly as public um, and something that, you know, it comes up more sporadically where there may be a specific case where our assistance is requested or where we can support law enforcement. And that's some of those more traditional cases that, um, again, you, you hope that they don't come up very often and they really don't, the, the, the bigger cruelty cases. Um, and so, of course, that's a, a piece of it too, but the uh, safety net and the um, equine transition rehoming and the right horse work very closely hand in hand um, and really enable us to look at horses throughout their whole lives and see that um, they, again, they have a long time and they might need help getting from point A to point B. And so making those options more available to owners who need it and making those adoptable horses more available and more accessible to people who are looking for a horse, because there's a lot of those out there right now. Yeah. You know, and horses live a lot. When I was a kid, 19 was an ancient horse. You know, 20 was, oh my goodness, how, how the heck did that happen? But now horses are living into their 30s. And I think that's a lot due to the, the improved care that we have, but it also means there's a longer responsibility time. And not all those horses can be ridden in those older years. They just need to be loved, you know, and taken care of and appreciated for the work that they have done and what they've given to us in those younger years when they were more athletic and capable. Um, and with the cruelty work, we've had um, uh, Diet from Days End uh, res Farm and Rescue on the program. And she's talked a lot about the, the cruelty work that they do. So I'm sure that you work in conjunction with a lot of these other organizations around the country. Yes. So when we talk about the Right Horse Initiative, when we initiative means it's a whole group of us. There's us at the A who kind of drive the bus and help uh, everyone focus in the same direction, but we are a collective. And so we have over a hundred partners now. We have both industry partners who are different um, breed and discipline associations within the horse industry. AAEP is one, um, Certified Horsemanship Association, PATH International, uh, pharmaceutical companies like Zoetis and Baron Engelheim, uh, almost anything under the sun, media companies like uh, Horse Illustrated and Western Horsemen. Those are our industry partners and they support adoption in a variety of ways. And then our adoption partners, so Days End Farm and Diet, is they were one of the very first right horse adoption partners actually. And that's where the, the pardon the, the pun, but the boots on the ground and the facilities are that these horses are actually coming into getting the care that they need and, and going back out to new homes. And so what we do is connect those partners and say, how can we collectively do more and how can we take the amazing expertise that Days End has and share it with a partner who might be newer or younger or learning some of these things um, or a group that wants to become a partner and, and share that expertise and be able to help more horses together. So that's that way we're able to kind of reach across the whole country and try to provide resources for horses you know, we're not, we're not in every county yet, but we're, you know, try to make sure that those resources are available no matter some, where somebody might be. Yeah, because, I mean, it's a huge undertaking. Uh, you know, the United States is huge. It's so varied. And, you know, you go over to Europe and it, it's just landmass is so much smaller. And so organizing these kinds of things is a lot simpler just because of the distances. So, so then if I understand it right, you're sort of like ASPCA is our big, overarching umbrella and then you're kind of here in a in an umbrella underneath that and you connect down into the roots with the boots on the ground people that are actually doing the rehoming or taking in horses or connecting with the owners that need help is that right yes that's exactly right and then we also kind of take so while we're connecting from the bottom down or from the top down, then from the bottom up, another huge piece of the work that we do is promoting these horses. So we can take a horse that may be at a, a rescue in Maryland and give them a national platform to find their new home. So through our ASPCA channels, our, our media connections and that sort of thing, as well as our industry partners, we can help uh, get those horses a much bigger platform and many more eyeballs on them because of course the more people who see them the greater chance they have of finding their right home and so we um we have a website uh, where you can see all those horses actually it's way too early in the webinar if we go there now we'll, yeah, yeah. we'll, be we'll never get out <laughs> yeah yeah my right horse.org i'm sure we'll we'll talk about that but that's another thing we can do is is shout from the rooftops that these horses are here and they're amazing and they're ready for their new homes you know, and we've been doing this with, with small animals for a while. Like I went out, a friend of mine would like to find a, a, a dog 
and he's an older gentleman and he needs something that kind of fits his his circumstances. And when you go out on these pet finder things, I mean, you're searching huge distances um, and that's not something that we've had with horses. It's been more of a local setting. So, so right horse is giving an internet not an international, but maybe um, a national platform to horses that need adoption. And then of course, there's that piece of moving that horse from one place to the other. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that a little later because we could get into that really early on. So, so that's really fascinating. And so um, let's talk about the safety net for a minute because I think that this is something I didn't know about your organization, that they provide a safety net. And I'd really like to know more about how that works and how, how you know, if someone needed help, what would, how do they get in? What do they do? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's definitely something that it does not yet exist on the scale that we would hope for it to. And, and again, looking kind of at the world of dogs and cats where if you found a stray dog or cat outside, you know, your house or a, a store or wherever, I bet that you could find, you know, three or four places to go and bring that animal and they take it in no questions asked. And that sort of stuff really doesn't yet exist for horses. And of course we don't, you know, see them as strays nearly as often, thank goodness. But the same, the same situations of somebody owning a horse and kind of saying, I, I need help and I'm not sure where to turn. So we've done a few things to tackle this, this issue. So first off, we have some amazing partners that are um, great resources here. So the United Horse Coalition has an incredible resource database where anybody across the country can go and search by state for hay banks, for gelding vouchers, for euthanasia support, for rehoming support. Um, and they've got somebody, they, they almost do have someone in every, every county that can help in some way. Um, so the United Horse Coalition is an incredible resource for that. Um, and then our partners- I'm put that in the chat here so that, um, oh, I don't know how to spell coalition. Okay, close enough. Um, yeah. So again, that's a resource I, I'm not familiar with. So they're a national organization and they provide- Yeah, it's also, that's under the umbrella of the American Horse Council too. And that was my next question is, are you tied in with the American Horse Council? Yeah, so so UHC has been around for a while, um, and they that what what they're so good at is being they provide a lot of resources, but one of them is being that national network of saying, hey, no matter what state you're in, they, you can search their resource database and find something um, near near you, hopefully. So that and I can I can certainly grab the the link and, and we can share that at some point to get the direct URL. But if you just Google United Horse Coalition. I think it's called the resource database or it's very easy to find on their website. Um, and then we, we've taken some steps to directly tackle this with some pilot programs at the ASPCA. So it all, it all, all starts with collaboration. We know that we can't do it all ourselves and nor would we want to, there are experts out there who can help and, and be really um, active in supporting these forces. So we work very closely with, the American Association of Equine Practitioners. Of course, veterinarians uh, always gotta be in the conversation when you're talking about health and welfare. So a few years ago, we, we piloted a program called the Vet Direct Safety Nets. And now the AEP's Foundation for the Horse manages that program. Um, but through that collaboratively, we've been able to launch the program, do a lot of research and learn about what happens and how these horses end up um, needing help. And the way that program works is an AEP veterinarian signs up as a provider. So they're an approved vet direct provider, and then they actually can get reimbursed for the care that they give to a horse who is having what generally is a one-time medical emergency. So let's say they have a, a serious injury or um, maybe need a, an eye removal or something that kind of falls under that banner of practical medicine. So up to $600 for a, uh, a, a treatment plan. The owner pays what they can and the veterinarian is reimbursed for the rest of it. And the goal is that this practical medicine is helping that horse stay in that home. So again, that's the kind of situation where the owner says, you know, I, I really want to keep this horse. We're good. We're, we're safe here. But just this one thing could truly make the difference between, 
you know, me being able to keep this horse and having to rehome them or that horse kind of sitting there um, and suffering from some sort of condition. So again, it, you know, we know vets have huge hearts and they're all, they see these cases all the time where they're at, you know, I can't afford treatment for my horse, but he needs it. And we want vets to be able to stay in business, to pay their bills and to be able to help these horses so they can get that reimbursement for that care. They decide what the care, what kind of care the horse needs. And we've actually seen um, an incredible success rate. I think, I think it's actually a hundred percent success rate with horses staying in their homes. And of course that you know, the, if the horse should need humane euthanasia, they can provide that right there at their home too. And so that, that has an incredible success rate with keeping the horses in their homes and getting them the care that they need while also making sure that the vets can pay their bills. So that's one program that we've piloted. What's the name of that one again? And how can people find it? Yes, that's called the Vet Direct Safety Net, and they have a page on the AAEP website. So um, if there's any veterinarians listening, we they absolutely need more vets to sign up and become a provider with that. It's a really easy 20 minute onboarding process. Um, and then the vets have the ability to, you know, if they're getting those calls or they know where those clients are in their community, they can provide that care and get reimbursed for it. So I'll put that in. Yeah, that's an amazing program. Is that something that started under the right horse and then moved over to AEP? It, it started under the ASPCA um, actually kind of around the same time that the right horse started. So again, those sort of working in, in parallel. Um, so it started, we piloted, piloted it under the ASPCA while working with the AAP. We were talking about acronyms a second ago, I know, right? A lot of letters. <laughs> it's horrible. Yes. And so now it's fully, um, it's run by the AAP and their foundation for the horse um, supported with an ASPCA grant. Um, and has continued to do do really well there because, you know, again, the, the vets are the experts. They know what needs to be done and we just want to empower them to do that. that. That's a fantastic program. And, you know, the more I'm talking to you, the more I realize there's a lot going on up here that hasn't necessarily filtered down to the boots on the ground uh, information like this. So I'm so glad we're talking about this. So now with these safe, you know, and I, I can remember, oh, it was a couple of winters ago, someone that I knew in West Virginia, um, and I hadn't spoken with her for a very long time, but somebody reached out to me and said, she needs hay for her horses that she, you know, like she'd had a, you know, life got tough and she had these horses. And so I donated some money to fill the hay bank um, to help with her horses. But you know, if they hadn't reached out to me, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known that there was even an issue because people aren't necessarily comfortable with saying, you know what, I can't feed my horses. Um, yeah. You know, are. because they feel guilty and uh, respond. I remember when my horse and I had to give him up, I, you know, I felt so guilty about, I couldn't take care of him. I couldn't solve his needs. You know, my dog had gotten killed and I got kicked out of the house. I was, this was back just out of college. You know, it was all these circumstances. And to ask for help is really, really hard because, you know, you feel like you have screwed up, you've done it wrong or, or, you know, you, you were a bad person, but really it's just this, that there are circumstances in life where we need help. And so, you know, this sounds like with the vets, it's really filling a need because yeah, that one injury could just, you know, wipe out somebody's savings if they didn't have someone to come and just treat that horse and then keep that horse in their home. So, so hay banks, you've mentioned hay banks and I've mentioned hay banks. Can you talk a little bit? Cause I'm sure that comes under your safety net. Yeah, yes, it does. We don't, um, we don't have a direct hay bank that we manage. A lot of our partners do, I would say uh, probably the vast majority of our adoption partners do have some, some feed safety net and exactly, you know, similar to the vet care, it can be that one-time thing that makes a difference between a horse staying in their home. Um, and, and frankly, if, if the horse doesn't need to go to a rescue, let's keep him in his home where he can be. And there's also, there's a huge section on, the uh, United Horse Coalition's um, resource database for finding hay banks. And um, we did early in the pandemic, we, uh, we'd had some feed distribution that we did do directly through the ASPCA um, in strategic locations. It's, you know, it's a logistical, it's a, it's a big thing, as you can imagine, and finding hay and finding, um, you know, how to distribute it. So it is, but it, that is the kind of thing that often is more readily available in communities than people think. 
Um, I know several of the state horse councils have them. Uh, Kentucky Horse Council has a great one. I believe, um, I think the Minnesota State Horse Council may have one. Oh, so the state horse councils are a great place to look for that too. Um, and, and the Vet Direct Safety Net has been really uh, an open door into being able to provide and promote more of those services. And it also, you know, because a lot of times the vets are the first place that somebody might call. Um, and so that has also led to other services. So an, another program that we piloted is called the ASPCA Regional Support Center. And that's really the next step beyond vet direct safety net. So if, uh, if the horse does need to go to a new place and the owner really truly can't keep that horse anymore, it's not something that a one-time vet assistance can help with. So we piloted the um, regional support center in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in 2018 and then Oklahoma City area in 2019 and it still operates out of that area. So kind of that central Oklahoma. And that is a true open door. Uh, it, it's a center in the, uh, in the not in a literal sense. We have a few different physical facilities that we work out of, but um, a, a regional support center where somebody can call in for whatever reason if they need to rehome their horse, we will help them do that. Um, and that has been an incredible way to, again, learn about why these horses are ending up at risk. And it's a lot of times, again, because of the owner situation, and then figure out how can we get them to that next step so that that a lot of calls come in through the vet direct safety net. And then turns out the owner says, you know, really, I do, I do need to rehome this horse. Um, and so our vets and our uh, team, there are able to go out and assess their horse, the horse right in their home. They don't have to leave the home. They can figure out what's the best course. Is it that um, veterinary assistance? Is it a little bit of hay? Is it um, sometimes the best thing is for them to be humanely euthanized in, in a, a safe space without having to leave their home and have that covered? Or do they need to be rehomed? And then they'll come into one of our facilities, get that kind of assessment, do some behavior assessment, figure out training wise, what do they need? And then get adopted out or be transferred to one of our adoption partners where they can get adopted out from there. So that's the more direct bridge um, through that regional support center where folks can actually um, rehome their horses. And so, you know, while that's only in Oklahoma right now, uh, we, we've piloted that there, we've learned a lot. And then that's the kind of thing where we'll say, you know, to partners, hey, here's what we've learned by operating this for two years. How can you replicate this in Kentucky, Ohio, California, Texas, Colorado, Maryland, um, and try to make those resources available all across the country. So from that center and that pilot program, what are the top three things you've learned about the, the situation horses are in? I would say um, they probably all fall under that, that, that blanket of why do horses fall at risk in the first place? And we had a sense that it was more about the human stuff than the horse stuff, but I think we were really surprised at the, the reasons and, and how strongly the research was going to show that it's almost always a human um, issue. And so we found that the, the top issues why horses fall at risk are really the owner's health, the owner's age, the owner's finances, or their just simply their life situation. Um, and that has informed so much of our work about it's really flipped this whole idea on its head yeah. about the stigma that the horse is at a rescue because there's something wrong with him. And that's simply not true. Uh, it, it's almost always, and, and again, it's not about placing blame on the humans. It's just something happened in their lives. I um, mean, and like you were saying, being able to have somewhere that humans can reach out and and not be shamed and not be told that they messed up, just that, hey, we're, we're so glad you called. We're so happy that you called to get help with this horse. We can help him um, and removing the shame and stigma from that. And that having the data behind that has really informed so much about our messaging about, you know, hey, these, these are great horses. We've had, you know, purebred registered horses with show records, horses with earnings in multiple disciplines come through the regional support center you know, because of something that happened in their owner's lives and they did the responsible thing and reached out. So I would say that's the, the biggest, all things that we've learned is, is why 
they and end that, up. You know, that is, that is a mind shift. That is a, a total mind shift because we typically look at a horse and go, you know, um, oh, they're, ne- they're purposely neglecting that, <coughs> excuse me, that horse, or um, there's something wrong with that horse. In other words, the, we blame the person who owns the horse for the circumstances instead of question what's changed in their circumstances to cause this to happen. And, and that is such an important thing to understand that that it's it's not an intentional neglect, it's that something's happened in their in the person's life and they can no longer care for this horse in the way it should be cared for. Um, and I just, you know, because I mean, how many times has somebody driven down the road and said, oh, that owner's so mean because he doesn't, you know, um, and we haven't stood in those shoes. We haven't thought about that perspective. That I think that's a huge message that I'm sure you are trying to hammer home um, because you can't help a horse in need if the owner feels um, uh, judged. If the right. owner feels that you're, you're blaming them for the circumstances. Um, and that's almost true of everything, right? Whether it's, you know, I teach riding every day and I see riders that I call it benign abuse. They don't know that what they're doing isn't good. They're doing what they know and they just need information and education. And it sounds to me like this is so true of what you're doing as well. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we've, you know, we've learned and a lot of uh, smart people have, have said that shame is a really poor motivator. It's not a good way to, uh, get something done. It's much, much easier to be open-minded and have some, give people some benefit of the doubt. The person who's not feeding their horse perfectly, they might be worrying about feeding their own kids or taking care of their aging parents or feeding themselves. Um, and we just don't know. And it's simply so much, um, not only easier, but faster and more effective to, you know, approach that with open arms and say, how can we help and how can we do the best thing for this horse um, and removing and also just removing that uh, uh, that stigma about relinquishing your horse to a rescue and saying, you know, this is a good thing. I'm doing the right thing for this horse and making these ado- these adoption centers are really places that are 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 welcoming and open to owners. Um, and that makes it okay for people to ask that question because if they, you know what, if they don't feel like they have an open place to go, their horse is not gonna get help or they're gonna you know, end up at an auction or something even worse. And so there's really, there's really nothing to be gained um, from shaming an owner who's in a tough spot. And you know, there's such a tiny, tiny percentage of people who truly intentionally right. um, do something bad. And that's what the you know, cruelty laws are there for. And that's why the, these other pieces are such a big part. Um, and it also helps a lot to, you know, keep people in the horse industry. We need people to, uh, you know, we, we as horse people, we, we, we all think that we kind of know how to do it best. Right. And right. The, the, the more that we can be open and welcoming and say, you know, we want people to stay involved with horses. You know, it's not getting any cheaper to live. It's not getting any cheaper to own horses, to have land. The more people we have in the community and loving horses and being involved in some way and feeling like we need and want them here, the more people we have to support horses who need them and the more homes that we have for horses. So it it really all does connect. Yeah. You know, and I, I can remember that when I was in that circumstance and just life was crashing on me, it's paralyzing. You, you, you don't, even know where to turn or what to do. You, you kind of get into that uh, freeze state and you're paralyzed and you can't, like, I didn't find the person who took my horse. The person where my horse was living found the person because I was paralyzed and could not figure out how to solve all the problems that I had at that moment. So I think when we, like you said, when we recognize that 99.9% is unintentional due to life circumstances, that if we can just offer them that off ramp, that exit ramp, so they can make good choice or have the support, then, then it just completely turns everything on its head and makes it better for everyone. Because nowadays, and I don't know if you know Rebecca Husted. I've had her on quite, yeah, I figured, you know, the political will, we have to make sure that we maintain the political will to keep horses. And recently I just saw where there, you know, there's an organization that wants to ban all horse sports from the Olympics because of a circumstance that happened with, yes, with the pentathlon. 
And that's throwing everything out with, you know, the baby with the bathwater. But if we don't maintain political will, we could lose what we love the most, which is, you know, being able to ride our horses, own our horses, um, be with horses. And so when we start to look at how can we help someone that's in trouble or offer them help. And so I, I was one of the things I'm thinking about is, you know, if someone is driving past a place where they see a horse that's in trouble, how, how do they help? connect into this whole network. How, you know, if I saw driving down the road and I saw, wow, that horse doesn't look well. And I know that person recently lost their job. How mm -hmm. is there a, a, a way to kind of help them connect into this system, which they wouldn't know about? Yeah, well, it's so individual. And I think the, the greatest success stories that we hear are when it starts with a personal connection and starts with that simple question of, hey, I, you know, how can I help? I'd love to help you if I can. And again, with, you know, with none of the shame or judgment. Um, and so it, it's, it's kind of tough to get, to get in there if the door's not open of some, some kind of personal connection there, but right. yeah. um, there, so if you, if you do know that person, or you happen to know a little bit about their situation, um, certainly just kind of making that that friendly phone call and saying, hey, I've got some spare time. I've got some horse connections. Can I can I provide some support here? Um, and then being armed with some ideas from uh, the United Horse Coalition and their resource database. Um, maybe, you know, if they're, they're willing to provide some hay themselves, say, hey, you know, I got some extra round bales out there. Um, or even being able to look for or find a vet direct provider near them. Or if you have a personal veterinarian that um, you can always encourage your personal vet to become a vet direct provider and then refer these mm -hmm. clients to them if they maybe don't have a vet at the time. But I think it generally does start best with that personal connection um, and, and the non-judgmental approach and then being armed with some of these resources and some success stories too. We have actually on the righthorse.org, there's all these success stories of horses who have been adopted and are in these um, I mean, this is like the, the most fun part of the job, right, is reading these stories that come in of people. And that's what the right horse is all about, right, is the connection between the right horse and the right person and being able to point at these success stories and say, these thousands of horses have, have found their new homes. Look how happy they are with their new person. And there, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is help out there um, and, and kind of being able to guide through that with, um, with, with support and positivity it really does depend a lot on the, the connections that we have within the horse community and, and being that, that non-judgmental and supportive friend. Um, but there are a ton of resources out there for sure. So, all right. So we've talked about the safety net and where they can either get vet care or get connected into the United Horse Coalition, a food bank, something that can help keep that horse in that home. But now when a horse when, when, they, when they can't care for the horse and it needs to go into the adoption process. So tell us how the right horse makes those connections and how that process works. Yeah, absolutely. So again, our adoption partners are really the ones who are spread out all across the country and are, are doing that work in local and regional areas. Um, and so the, they're the ones who would take the horse in. Generally, that looks like um, wherever the horse comes from, it might be an owner surrender. It might be again, off the track. It might be a transfer from another right horse partner. Um, so they'll do that initial assessment, look at their really thorough assessment of their, their veterinary health. They'll, they'll vaccinate microchip, get their teeth done, get their feet done. They'll do a behavior assessment. So we have a tool called the basic behaviors profile where they can assess okay, you know, can I catch this horse in open space? Can I load him in a trailer? Can I fly spray him? Um, can I take his temperature and get a good idea for who the horse is? And then if it's appropriate, they'll assess their under saddle skills um, and generally try to start promoting him for adoption pretty quickly. Um, if they have a more serious medical issue, of course, they'll address that first. But a lot of times they can go up for adoption during the training process um, because there are plenty of experienced adopters who can take on a green horse um, or they'll stay at the shelter, get the training that they need, get the promotion that they need, um, and then go, you know, hopefully find the right person pretty quickly. So that's happening individually with thousands of horses at our adoption partners. And at the same time, 
we are shining the spotlight on them and shouting from the rooftops about these horses through our, our website, myrighthorse.org. So all of our partners post their horses there. It is um, kind of like the pet finder for horses, but it's the only website that was uh, developed specifically for adoption and specifically for equine. So um, truly enter at your own risk. I made it oh, almost... What? I want to ask you one more question before, because I know once they yeah, go sure. there, we're not getting out. Um, yeah. So these centers, are they, have they been approved right horse uh, centers? Is, is how, how, tell us how, if, if they're a center, how do they kind of join into this process? Absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. So we have 35 adoption, right horse adoption partners and that is a, a process that's very philosophy based. So we we do not, it's not an accreditation. It's not, you know, there are great accreditations out there um, like Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries and get accredited. Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance does um, accrediting and a lot of our partners are accredited with those. That's where there's a more formal process of, you know, great big checklist of these things about their facility, making sure that everything's safe and that sort of stuff. So our partnerships are very philosophy based. We do um, make sure that some of those pieces are in place um, as far as having a solid nonprofit organization. And then we look for partners who really have a desire to work together, to share their ideas and learn from others and to massively increase adoption. Um, and most importantly, to have a, a really adopter friendly process. So something that is welcoming to adopters that focuses on making the right match between the right horse and the right person and not excessively putting any barriers in place that would turn away good homes. Um, so those are kind of the three main criteria and you know that we could break that down into lots of specifics but for groups who who meet that then they they those are our adoption partners. We and also have a you're, you're probably looking for more adoption partners all the time. Yes, exactly. You, you read my mind. And we have a program um, to build that network called the warm up ring, where a shelter or rescue, we're all about the puns, where you horse puns for days, um, where uh, groups who want to become a partner can work towards that. And so um, groups that are in either in the warm up ring or out are adoption partners, they have access to tons of education and resources. Um, that we have, they can apply. We have lots of grants that we give out and then um, donations and products from our industry partners. So for example, Zoetis just donated 1500 of their core EQ innovator vaccines that covers those five core diseases that all horses need to be vaccinated against. So those went directly to horses at our adoption partners in the warm up ring organization. So that's kind of how we facilitate. We might talk to a group and say, hey, this year you adopted out 20 horses. Your goal for next year is 30 or 35. How can we help you get there? And that's kind of how the partnership works. Wow, so that's great. So how many adoption partners do you have? 35? 35, yes. And about the same, about 30 in, in the warm-up ring as well. And are you in all 50 states? No, not yet. So we're always looking for more. Um, we have, uh, oh, there's a map on our website. Um, you can see where our adoption partners are located. And yeah, we're always looking for more partners. Um, we would love to be in every state. I'm personally, um, we try to do site visits. So I'd really love if we could have a you know a partner in Hawaii. I would be happy to do a site <laughs> visit down there. I haven't found one yet, but yeah. Yeah, so that's great. So, so once they're a partner with you, they have access to funding, they have grants, products and things and support, which, you know, I think that is so critical because sometimes it's like somebody's doing something over here and, all they have to do is share the information and then you can make an improvement over, over there that the more we can collaborate and share, the better off everybody is. Um, before we go to your success stories, you have to talk about the horse in your background. Oh, yes. So this is actually um, one of my colleagues' horses. This is, so Kaylin Caldwell uh, does a lot of our marketing and content, and social media. This is her horse, Claire. Um, she was posing as a mascot for, uh, for this photo. So with her cute little ASPCA hat. Um, yeah, she's a, a lovely warm blood mare who Kaylin's had for quite a while. Um, 
And I tell you what, one of the hazards of the job is that we're always seeing these adoptable horses, Claire's not from one of our adoption partners, but just an amazing mare who she's had for a while. But I mean, every single day we're having to talk each other off the ledge of, no, I, I don't need another horse because we've seen another one on my right horse or whatever. It's, it's, it's really tough. Yeah, I, I bet. And um, so now let's go in and see your herd. Who have you got out there? Oh, okay. Um, let me see. I'm not sure if I could pull up. You know what? I think I do actually have another, if I can change my virtual background really quickly. I have uh, one of my adopted equines is, oh, here. I just looked this. at your questions and there's a good one we haven't talked about. Okay. Oh, who is that? <laughs> this is this is Wendell. He's a BLM borough. He we adopted him in 2015. He um, was wild when we got him and clearly is no longer. He this is actually him working at our wedding. He was our beer borough. So <laughs> the uh, let's see, three hours in his life that he's worked. The rest of it, you know, he's just a complete freeloader out there accepting hugs and kisses. So he's uh, one of one of our adopted equines. Um, but yeah, one of the one of the great things that we do is is share stories of people finding their right horse or their right donkey. We're actually um, celebrating this is Adopted Senior Pet Month, November, and so we just got this incredible story um, of uh, an adopter named Amanda and her horse Beauty. And so you mentioned earlier um, senior horses, and she adopted this mare Beauty, I think at, at when the mare was twenty. Um, and she, the, the mare was under saddle, but a little bit green. And, you know, a lot of people might've said mm, a green 20 year old horse, not for me. Amanda saw this potential that beauty had and the, the rescue had done such a great job of getting to know this mare, doing all her vet work and getting her sort of restarted and, and, and working on her training and so then Amanda adopted her, kept her in training, and they grew this incredible partnership together. I think, I think she's 25 now. They just did that beach ride in um, Myrtle Beach, I think, South Carolina for the, yeah, so she's like these photos of Amanda and Beauty galloping down the beach on, you know, her 25-year-old adopted mare. Um, these just incredible stories that you, you would never, it's, it's totally changing people's minds. And so she, Amanda sharing her story like that being able for folks to see, you know, what you can do with an adopted horse. It's absolutely transformational. Um, one of the things, I just looked at your notes and one of the things we haven't talked about is equine fostering. So, yes. so are there opportunities for fostering and does it work like, like with cats and dogs? How does that work? And are you involved with that process? Yes. So it is, uh, there's a, a, a need for foster homes out there. It's a fabulous way to get involved. And frankly, it's a good way to get another horse without committing to another horse forever. <laughs> um, works really well on spouses who might be resistant to adding another one to the herd because you don't actually have to keep the horse forever. Um, and it's a really wonderful way for experienced, um, particularly for experienced horse folks to plug in and someone who might not have as much experience. So it does work somewhat similarly to dogs and cats where you are housing the horse until they find that permanent adoptive home or long-term adoptive home. We have partners who are totally foster-based, who actually don't own a facility of their own. They just have a really wonderful foster network. And then we have partners who do have a main facility, but they might have a limited capacity for some reason, or they're just able to expand their reach a lot more by having foster homes um, in their county or across the state. And it enables um, horses to sometimes get a little bit more individual attention and individual promotion. So, you know, I'm out there riding with my set of horse friends and this person that I know might be looking for a horse. And I'm like, hey, I've got this foster horse in my pasture. Why not? You know, it's it's really integrating them into the community. So it, it's a fabulous way for horses to get adopted. And a lot of times for folks to maybe use some unused pasture space or if you want to be a fair weather foster and foster when you've got um, grass in the spring, that's, that works too. Um, and, and just for, you know, we think about the idea of every horse person doing 1% or 5% and we would have this problem solved immediately. Right. Right. Um, so 
Yeah, it's that's a, it's a, a, that's a great way. idea because, like, say you have a pasture, or, or you know, and it's not being used, and you could put a couple of foster horses and enjoy the fact that you've got horses at your home without the obligation of ownership. And but ultimately, I I I wonder what the percentage of fostering turns into ownership. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have any stats, but it's probably very high of of a of foster failure. Um, and and fostering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful too. And so if folks are on My Right Horse, they can actually, you can inquire about adopting a horse or you can inquire about fostering. So there, there's, it's easy to find one who needs foster. That's awesome. So um, yeah. I think you were going to show us some, some success stories. You talked about that when, before we started. Am I wrong? Um, yes, we, I can, would you, should I share my screen? Or yeah, what let's, would, let's do it. Let's see some of these gorgeous horses that you're talking about. Okay, let me give you a so it's easy to do. Yeah, absolutely. Let me pull some, um, some just horses up check. here. Okay, my right horse. Let me know if this pops up the, way, the yep, right way. Got it. Awesome. Awesome. So this is myrighthorse.org. It's you know very simple. It's again the um, it actually won, it's won a few awards at the American Horse Publications um, Equine Media Awards for best website in 2019 and 2020, maybe. Um, it's, it's won in the, in the uh, website category a few times, and I'm sure in no small part because the judges got on here and just got sucked in by these <laughs> horses. So it's, um, it's you know, fairly self-explanatory. Oh, you, this, this is a joke. Look, uh, this can't be real. Look at this little guy. <laughs> So wow. that's, um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Look how fat he was. Oh, look at this guy. Well, like and, that. He, and so I yeah. have to ask you, so when it says adoption overview, is that what it would cost to adopt this horse? Yeah. So that that's his adoption fee. And then we've got his description here. So Rocky, adorable little mini sounds like he, um, maybe has gotten learned of some bad habits or not been uh, always easy to catch. So difficult to approach and catch him. But this this group at Horses Haven in Michigan, I'm sure they're going to have him turned around in no time. They have an incredible program, amazing volunteers. Um, and so here, this is this is a great example of you know, a description of a horse who maybe needs a little bit of help and just needs kind of his individual person to love. And I know, you know, with these minis, it's just a matter of that, that one kid or that person who they really connect with and come out of their shell. Um, they've, they've given the, the info here about what kind of management he needs, a dry lot. Um, then you can scroll down and see kind of all of his details. He's in Howell, Michigan. Look at this. I mean, could he be any cuter? Oh, wow. So, so you really give a lot of detail about the horse and also what it would cost to adopt him. So there's no like question of, you know, it's right up front. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then here's that basic behaviors profile that I mentioned. And so, okay, Rocky has not really accomplished a lot of these items, <laughs> yet, but I'll, we'll find an example of a horse who has. And so this gives somebody an idea of saying, you know, Hey, Rocky's really cute, but I, I'm maybe not quite ready for a horse that I can't catch. I have a huge pasture. So Rocky might not be a good fit for me quite yet. Cause I'm, I'll never get him back if I turn him out there. Um, and then they can acquire inquire about adopting or fostering right here um, and learn more about Rocky. So, Oh, wow. It's so yeah. immediate. That is so awesome. Yeah. Let's find another. So this is, this just shows you kind of the first or the three most recent listings. And then if you go into the search, you can actually filter by lots more things. So let's see, if you were looking for a horse for yourself, what would you look for? Uh, I would look for a horse that's about 10 years old, um, 16 hands, um, athletic and uh, gelding because it would fit with my herd. And okay. um, uh, I would like dressage as a discipline. Love it. So uh, what I'm doing here is just adjusting these filters. Um, so you can see, I gave a little bit broader of an age range. I went eight to 12, I went 15 to 17 hands, and then I'm going to come up here in disciplines and put dressage and see what pops up for us. So look at how cute we've got Twizzler. Oh, you said gelding. Okay. Gelding. So yeah, here's Texas and Knoxville, Maryland. And there's, okay, well, we need, we need some more pictures to see what Texas's job 
what he could be like, but, um, that's a, that's a great example of, so let's change the discipline. Let's go back and just put trail riding. Okay. And you know, what's interesting is we, we were talking a little bit in the beginning about, um, kind of what, uh, what's been happening over the last year and a half with our partners. And they've actually seen a huge demand for adoptions. I would say that the horses that are available for adoption right now are almost as low as we've ever seen because so many people have been adopting, which is like a great thing. And also a little bit weird, right? That it's like there, there's not actually a ton of horses, but here you've got lots of options. So Maryland, California, Missouri, West Virginia. Oh, I didn't put gelding in. Gelding. Yeah. Cause I saw Amy there. So has the pandemic helped or hurt or neutralized? I mean, because pe- people might be in, you know, more insecure positions, losing their job and that sort of thing, or more time at home and wanting to have a horse. It's exactly that. Um, in the beginning, we were pretty afraid. I think like a lot of folks that we would see what happened in 2008, 2009, where, you know, en mass folks couldn't afford their horses and couldn't take care of them. Um, and we, it, you know, regionally that happened a little bit, but really not to the extent that we thought we would see. And in fact, once things kind of opened back up, we saw a huge rush on adoptions because it's the perfect activity, right? Like you can be outside, you can be a little bit farther away from people. And I think a lot of folks who had been on the fence said, what am I waiting for? I'm going to get a horse. And so they, yeah, um, it's actually been incredible for adoptions um, and, and open the door for partners to be able to kind of say, okay, how can we help the next set of horses open our doors a little bit more? So it's been really interesting. And, and overall, um, I would say very positive for certainly for adoptable horses. Awesome. Let's take a look at Mr. Natural and see if he has a personality prof- the the um, characteristics filled out. Yeah, Mr. Natural. What a cute, see what a great like variety of photos here. He's out in pasture with his buddy and you can of course, you know, zoom in and see them um, a little bit bigger. Let's see, Mr. Natural looks like, okay, we've got a, a, an amazing equine citizen here. So he's got really good ground skills. He can be caught loosen turnout, you can lead him, go through a gate, he'll tie, moves his hindquarters away, brushing, handles his feet, blanketing, fly spray. This is a good, so this is a great example of a horse who's got super solid ground skills. Right, and ready to go. So if we scroll back up and look at his description a little bit. Yeah. Was rescued in 2018. Oh, during a horse seizure. Yeah. at the rescue oh what is the rescue to stardom challenge yeah at the world's horse expo it's uh one of those training challenges that um do really really well they've kind of popped up in lots of places across the country um to get horses some training quickly and help them find their right homes so it sounds like he was adopted um, and then recently returned okay here we go perfect example because his owners decided to sell their farm so this amazing horse nothing, you know, nothing wrong with him. Lots of incredible qualities, um, and just a change in the owner's life. So here's another benefit of adoption that with all of our adoption partners, if you adopt, um, and can no longer keep the horse, that horse has a permanent lifetime safety net. If the owner wants to reach out, um, and, and that horse can always go back to the rescue where they came from. They don't have to, but that's there if they if they need help. So clearly, that's what so they're never with- falling through the cracks again once they come through the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is- I mean th- things do happen, so sure, sure, can't, but can't say never. But the right. in general, yeah, there's always somewhere for them to go. But it's built in. It's built into the system so that you don't have if if you need to re you know send them back, they can. And you know it's interesting. I didn't know about the like rescue to start them, but it seems like other organizations are starting to pick up on the retired racehorse project of you know, getting a horse and then developing that horse and then presenting that horse in a variety of disciplines so that um, we, you know, there's, I, I think that encourages, you know, look what it's done for the thoroughbreds. It's just really done a phenomenal job to get more thoroughbreds out of racing when they're, when they're obviously not going to make it there and into a good home and into a good situation as a valued citizen. Um, and it's really cool to see that sort of that, thought is now kind of trickling out into other areas. That's amazing. It's really, it, it is. That, that's a perfect example of they've been doing great things for many years long before we came along and partnered with them, but that's how the more that we can learn from each other and see 
what's working in this breed or this industry and translate that to others. It just is going to help more horses. We've got to share ideas and, and share when things don't work, share failures and share things where we stumbled and said, no, this didn't work for me in Texas. And maybe it would work in Colorado or maybe it would work in Florida, but, or maybe it would work with different breeds of horses, but being able to share that expertise is so, so key to creating the system change that we need for, you know, something to always be there for horses, because you never know. I've, I've got horses right now who are in, you know, 10, I've got a six-year-old and a, or a 13-year-old. And I want to know that if something happens to me in 15 years, there's going to be support for those horses there. And that's how, this is how we can do that. Absolutely. Do you have any statistics on the number of horses that have been through the Right Horse Initiative now that have been adopted and, um, and found good homes? Oh, that's a, that's a good night quizzing me. Let's see. I can tell you for sure in 2020, our partners adopted out over 3,500 horses. So um, we're on track to, for them to do at least that this year, um, probably a bit more. So, you know, but over the five years, I would say it's gotta be, it's gotta be approaching 10,000 or more. And we know there's tons and tons of groups out there that are not necessarily yet right horse partners um, that are also doing amazing work and so um, there's there's a lot of horses that have been helped through adoption and there's a lot of horses that still need homes yeah. through adoption i mean generally at any one time we see 500 to 750 horses on my right horse um, and that are always looking for homes so if you're if you're like me and you're at your your capacity for having a ho- having horses and can't add to that herd anymore, you can always share these horses. There's an easy you know right down here. If you click share, you can share them right to Facebook, Twitter, or their link. Um, awesome. We can encourage Great our website. other fr- our so, friends. Yeah, it's super. It's super quick and easy to get to get that information out. I think you know who uh, you've done a phenomenal job designing this, and. Um, what was I going to say? I had another question. Hang on. It'll come back. Oh, um, nope. I lost it, but that's okay. Let's go back to your homepage so people can find out where to find you. Sure. Yeah. The, the main, main website here is you're on Facebook too. Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you, if you need a shot of positivity, um, go and follow the right horse on Facebook. And Instagram, we're always sharing those happy stories of adoption and adoptable horses. Um, there, you can find the links from here on our website, or just look up the right horse. Uh, you'll see this orange R. Um, if you come to our website here, you'll see these stories. Um, again, these amazing um, connections that folks have made. Here's some kind of highlights from our Instagram. And and if you've adopted, folks can use this hashtag right horse. It's all about changing the conversation um, and showing people again that adoption is a great way to get a horse. It's it's a viable way to find your perfect horse. Um, They can sign up for the newsletter, all that good stuff. We've got lots of different ways to help at whatever level folks want to. Um, And then again, they can come here and find um, those partners. So finding these, these are our industry partners. And we've also got a map of our adoption partners. They can find one near them where they want to, if they want to volunteer um, or get more involved. Um, and then of course that, you know, myrighthorse.org is where all those adoptable horses are listed, but it's, it's, it, it takes a lot of people um, doing this work to, to help all these horses. Absolutely. It takes a big, a big village, not just a village, <laughs> yeah. a really large village. And, um, you know, it's, I, I'm just going to tell everybody, if you want to feel good, you're kind of having a down day, go out to ride horse, read one of these stories. It'll lift you up. It'll make you believe in humanity again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I guess it's not going to let me look at the the Instagram, but yeah, truly like the Instagram and the Facebook stories, it's, it's incredible. It really does. Um, yeah, it, it, it really can be that antidote in your, in your feet of, of positivity and, and, um, just it, they'll, they'll make you cry. It's amazing. Yep. It's great. Well, Christy, this has been fantastic. I am so grateful that you joined me today uh, so that we could tell people about what you are doing, because, you know, I, I mean, I, I can't even remember how I found you, but I, you know, we just need to blow your horn and let more people know um, and just let them know that there, there is help. If they need help, reach out you, that you can help, you can get them help. You can figure out what to need, whether it's keeping the horse in the home, whether it's rehoming the horse, you know, and um, so because that's the thing is that 
we have to show that the horse industry cares about these horses because we need to maintain political will so that we can keep doing what we love the most. And, you know, it's so difficult even now we're losing open land where I live, you know, I'm watching in the counties near me, how they're becoming housing developments and, and everything. And so we need to keep horses in our lives. It's just so critical it really is. Yeah, it really is. It's better for the horses. It's better for the people and help, help is out there. Yes, absolutely. Folks should reach out. And if you, if you don't need help, need help, if you can offer help, we need the involvement of everybody to do a little bit here or there. And um, it's, it's truly a solvable problem. It really is. And it, and it's fun. It's, you know, the, there's, it's working with other horse people. And sometimes there are, there are tough days and tough situations, but the outcomes are what make it all worth it. And seeing the right, right horse go home with the right person. It's, it's magic. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you, everybody. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about African horseback safari. I just came back from doing two trips with Horsing Around International, and I have tons of amazing photographs from my safari trip. So on Friday, we're going to have Caitlin McGarvey, who was with me, and we're going to talk about safari. And there is another amazing adventure on horseback. That is going on my bucket list. Absolutely. And uh, thanks, Rhonda. Rhonda, by the way, she just posted that she recently acquired three beautiful Arabian horses because the owner had a bad back injury. Um, and that was so fantastic of you to take those horses in, Rhonda. So thank you so much. And just, just remember, there's somebody out there that needs some help and you can just offer a hand. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye.